0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Richest Men in Town podcast. I'm Mike Freeman and along with my good friend and co-host Tyler Gould, we're excited to welcome you to our little podcast project. Tyler and I are just a couple of middle-aged husbands and dads driven to live our best lives. We want to be better every day, so here we'll be sitting down with great people, not famous people, but great people that we admire, to learn their secret to living the rich life. Probably not the rich life you're thinking of. Our guests come in humbled and surprised at the invitation, and hopefully leave feeling proud and grateful, realizing just how good they really have it. So pull up a chair, stay a while, and raise a glass with us as we toast our guests to the richest men in town.
1: Mike Freeman, what a good night tonight was. That's what I'm talking
0: about, Tyler Gould. How are you, man?
1: I am doing fantastic. You know, here's the thing. I'm doing good, even given the fact that I just spent a couple hours With an Olympic athlete, that made me question my whole uh, my my whole approach to life.
0: When you think, right? You think, okay, I'm 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 a successful guy. (laughs) (laughs) I got I got some stuff going on. I got a I got a spelling bee trophy up in the attic, right? (laughs)
2: Right. And then you
0: hang out with uh, with Sarah Hall, and she kind of lets you in on 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 her life with Ryan Hall, and and uh, you know their their girls, and man. It was yeah. uh, it was a treat, um, and it was yeah it was eye opening, and uh, there were definitely some things like, when she starts talking about mining her life for potential, you know, and like digging deep and find trying to find your limits and trying to exceed them, I'm thinking, come on Freeman, you can jog two miles. <laughs> you know she yeah. she she shares out. She shares yeah. out. She's yeah. in this interesting stage in her career where she's 37 about to be 38 and she's having the best career she's ever had as a professional runner. Yeah, what? I really I really think she lets us in on the
1: the mental and the spiritual component of her craft, right? She definitely talks a lot about, you know, her training and and sort of the the components of that, but but I think, you know, she spends a, the bulk of our time together talking about her mental approach and her spiritual approach to not only her, her craft as a world-class athlete, but also as a mom, as a wife, as a, as a woman of God.
0: And those pressures are real in all aspects of her life. In every role, she feels pressure, right? Pressure to perform, anxiety doubt, fear. We talk, we talk about that fear of failure and, and really she gets to a place, she gets to a pretty low place professionally. And she basically in that moment realizes truly in her heart that God has unconditional love for her. And that liberates her. Yeah. It liberates her to perform better. It liberates her to, to, you know, to, to start exploring, uh, being a mom and she's in a really great place. And I think that, that, that internal voice, that doubt, right. The, the, you're not good enough or in her, in her particular case, online commentary and haters and, you know, just yeah. people criticizing and saying, hang them up. You're done. I love it. She said, I've had so many people tell me so many times I'm done. And i only, I know when I'm done.
1: Yeah, I love I'll know that. when I'm
0: done. When, I, if as long as I've still got passion to do it, I'm gonna do it, and that's the lesson she's teaching her kids, and I love it, love it. Yeah, I thought it was great. She talked tonight about,
1: you know, some of the uh, the epic failures that she's had in her career. She talked tonight about some of the uh, the the great successes that she's had in her career, and then I I, I thought it was it was a b- beautiful moment when she talked about inviting her kids into the whole process. And letting them see her fail and letting them see her get back up, letting them see her recover and become even better and greater from the failure. And, and you know, if we had to talk about what this show is about, I think that's part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, learning from all f- our failures, getting up and trying to become better. And, and Sarah Hall, you know, gave us a great glimpse of what that looks like from an athlete, but from, from, a, from a woman who is striving to be the best that she can be in all aspects of her life.
0: And from a young girl who's just driven by a hunger for God, a love for God that has always been there. It was in her home. It was in her heart early on. And she's always kind of felt like that is why she's here, right? To do her best for God. And God is interested in the things that bring her joy. So therefore Run.
1: <laughs> yeah. What a what a cool cool experience tonight. I I I'm grateful for the time that we had with, with Sarah Hall. I'm I I'm grateful for you to for the introduction to Sarah Hall. What a what a treat it was to spend some time with her and and, and learn about uh some lessons that look, I, I'm the first to admit, it, Mike Freeman, I am not a runner. But I learned some things tonight about life from a runner and it was it was a great experience.
0: Yeah, I, you know I told you I told you in the text exchange leading up to the show. Runners are deep people for whatever reason. Every guy I know, every woman I know that's run 26.2, there's some depth to those people and nobody in the world runs 26.2 better than Sarah Hall. So that's we can right. definitely learn lessons that will help us, you know, be better accountants and lawyers and husbands and dads. So I want to thank Sarah for for showing up.
1: Absolutely. I I hope our listeners tonight, uh, find some, some, some truths that Sarah Hall brings to them. Uh, she certainly invites them into the whole process. So take notes, uh, do something about what you learned tonight from, uh, our first Olympic, uh, guest, uh, Sarah Hall on the richest men in town.
0: Do you let your kids win?
1: uh yeah when they were young i'd let them win you know they get older and and they start to have that competitive fire you know with quinn for sure i would have to show him every so often that <laughs> this is why i'm boss and i'm still boss you know what i mean yeah there were a
0: couple of times though there were a couple of times where it'd be like okay i'm gonna let him and then i'm gonna take it back from him and and and, and put this thing away and then as abe got older it's like uh oh you can't necessarily just switch a gear you know, yeah and start and start closing this thing out
1: oh and my son is hyper competitive and you know and so there were times where i knew i just had to let it let it go or else the whole night was just destroyed
0: you know <laughs> yeah i remember the first time abe, abe and i went and played tennis and he was learning how to play tennis and he might have been eighth grade right yeah. seventh or eighth grade and and like if we go 60 six and he's like pissed. yeah <laughs> he's he's pouting yeah. and I'm like oh, totally what did you think was gonna happen? here? <laughs> yeah, exactly you know, like hey young grasshopper, I, you know I, I can I can teach you some things and I don't know if he thought he was a he was gonna win or b I was gonna maybe let him score some points, but it's like look yeah, it's for,
1: forever hopeful man you know yeah. and there's a time where it just becomes, you know, it just, it just flips over, you know, it's like, uh, yeah. I mean, playing basketball with Quinn, you know, it's like w- some point you're just like, all right, they're maybe they're getting to that point where it's going to be, I you got to try really hard to stick it to them, you know? But yeah, but you know, to answer your question, yeah, I'll, I'll try to trounce my kids if I could.
0: Well, okay. So, so Tyler Gould, we, I'm excited to introduce you to, uh, Sarah Hall. Yeah. Okay. Sarah Hall, uh, we go way back a little bit. I was an administrator uh, for the Halls and their family uh, here in Redding, California, and then they took off and they left us, and we'll give her a hard time about that. They, they moved off to Arizona. But some of our listeners may recognize Sarah Hall. If you are a marathon runner, if you're into that, you're going to uh, recognize Sarah Hall as, uh, as an Olympic athlete, right, as, as a world-class uh, marathon runner. Uh, record holder, all kinds of things. We're gonna bring her in as a mom, as a wife, and we might even, you know, talk a little bit about running. But I'm probably going to be introducing you, Tyler, to the most competitive person you or I will ever meet. I'm excited
1: right. about I like to talk to people that have got that fire. So let's let's let's, bring, uh, let's open
0: the doors. Let's, let's let her in here and yeah, let's uh, do it. And Sarah Hall, are you with us?
2: I am can you hear me?
0: I can hear you. How are you?
2: I'm doing pretty well. How are you guys?
0: Good. G- greetings from uh, California, Redding, California for me. I'd like to introduce you to Tyler Gould. Hi, nice Sarah. to meet you,
2: Tyler. Nice are you in Redding you. as well?
0: I am in San Diego.
2: Oh, okay, cool.
0: And Sarah, you're coming to us from Arizona.
2: I'm in Flagstaff right now. So yeah, I'm on audio only because I'm, I'm in the woods where we live. It's Not the best connection. <laughs> so let me know if you can't hear me.
0: I, I, yeah. I can hear you. I can hear you. Flagstaff sounds very woody.
2: It is. Yeah, we're at 7,000 feet um, elevation in the forest. And uh, people don't know that Arizona has a ski resort. But up here, we we actually get snow and it's mountainous.
0: Nice. It's beautiful. Wait, so, so there's not snow on the ground right now, though, right?
2: There is a little bit. It pretty much all just melted. But we got some um, less than a week ago, surprisingly. So, yeah. Wow.
0: Well, I hear I was I thought I was having a San Diego and an Arizona kind of day because I'm here in Redding and it's like 85 degrees today. It's
2: gorgeous. Oh, it (laughs) sounds about right. We miss it there.
0: Well, we Redding misses you, Sarah Hall. So we're we're excited to have you here on the richest men in town. Um, I've told I've told Tyler a little bit about your backstory with uh, how we met through uh, Grant School and the girls. How are the girls doing? First, let's start there.
2: The girls are doing really well. Um, I just as I drove down the hill to do this, um, saw Jasmine riding her bike back from soccer. Um, she's her and Lily are going to a uh, basis. It's a charter school here that's really rigorous, and they they're doing well learning Latin and um and Mandarin and all kinds of stuff. Wow. Um, and, and uh, doing some sports, but uh, Mia's are are one that's really into sports. She's following after hana and um, also became a state champion in cross country last fall so um so that's been neat to see her just enjoy running and that's something that i get to share with her as well which is really special and and obviously they're both really talented at it um coming from ethiopia having the genes for it for sure
0: well let's 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 uh let me get some ages because it's been a little bit um so so how old is hana
2: Hannah is 20.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> she okay, is a, so- a freshman at Grand Canyon University, um, which is pretty amazing that she, she became able to go to college. You know, you met her when she. Yeah, let's back was that up.
0: So, so Tyler, we, we, I, I met Sarah and, and her husband, Ryan, when they came to the school where I was a superintendent principal. And they had, they had recently adopted four girls from Ethiopia. Awesome. And so Sarah, how, how long ago was that? That was probably like uh, 2016, 2015.
2: Yeah. uh, 2015 fall. And I think we started at grant in 2016 spring. Yeah.
0: So yeah, four girls, uh, English language learners, obviously, I mean, coming from Ethiopia. And so here we are now, we're talking high school state champs and cross country and college student that's that's a pretty phenomenal journey
2: yeah it was it's you know I think kind of every step of our parenting journey was like kind of throwing them into things that probably they they weren't ready for but just seeing like how they adapted and how they could handle it and and they ended up really surprising us kind of at every stage and um you know I, I would have never thought Hanna would be able to go to college like starting school for the first time in midway through eighth grade at Grant and, um, and not knowing any English or any kind of basic math or anything, but, um, and never, never going to school in Ethiopia. That was the other main thing. Like they just had never, they didn't know how to even read in their mother tongue or write or anything. And so, um, so yeah, it's wild to see just how adaptable kids are and how, you know, when you believe in them and like, you don't coddle them and you just, you kind of stretch them, that they can really rise to the occasion. And I'm sure you've seen that a lot in education, but yeah.
0: Yeah. But nothing like that. Nothing like that. Right. Coming from (laughs) no organized school structure background and jumping into school. And uh, yeah, I I commend you for the, for the work you're doing there. How old's Mia?
2: Mia is let's see 17 now.
0: 17. yeah. And And then you mentioned Jasmine. How old's Jasmine?
2: She is, um, like mix up their ages, 13. 13. and Lily is 10. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, very cool. So so uh, I don't know if Sarah, if you are a fan of the richest, uh, I don't know if you're a fan of It's a Wonderful Life with George Barry. Yeah,
2: of course.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, this podcast, uh, Tyler and I, we, we're reaching out to folks because we're just uh, a couple of dads, a couple of husbands trying to be the best that we can be. And, uh, we are looking for those folks that can teach us some things about being the best. And so we thought, why not, why not call up a couple of Olympic athletes, right? So we can have a conversation about, uh, what parenting and what life is, is teaching in the halls these days. So Sarah, we're, we're excited to have you here. Well,
2: thanks for having me.
0: Um, Mike,
2: let me,
1: let me ask you a question real quick, Sarah. I, I'm yeah. curious. I, I, uh, I mean you have four kids, that's busy, busy time, right? B- life is busy. And not to mention, we'll talk about your background and how busy that can be. But you said something that I thought was interesting. You said that th- you had to throw them into things to see how they adapt, right?
2: Uh-huh. What,
1: what, what is that? What, is that a philosophy that, that you've, that you espouse yourself? Or is that something like yeah. that you look at and say, well, you know, I, I, here's my kids. I want them to be able to to uh, progress. And so this is the the way that we're going to do it. Or is this something that you you've experienced yourself?
2: A little bit, I think. Yeah. I think I was always kind of a high achieving personality growing up, but definitely someone like not afa- afraid to have big goals and, and kind of set my sights ahead of where I was at at the time. And so, um, so it was kind of the like, why not me, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, uh, so so yeah, I think, and even now, like as, as I approach my career and stuff, I I've done a lot of, I've, I've kind of taken a different path in a lot of ways, um, from other professional runners. And I think, um, I think it's just kind of that not being afraid to fail, but, um, but kind of embracing challenge. And, and that's something I've tried to model to the kids cause they've had to really have that same mentality as they, you know, sure. went out to school for the first time without, um, being able to speak the language or know anyone and Some stuff. scary so I moments. Think, yeah. But, um, but just being like, like acknowledging the challenge and not, I think that we tried to check in with them and you, you know, you don't want to be like overwhelming your kids sure. and stuff, but, but I think also like not shying away from, from that, but like seeing, seeing what your limits are, I guess.
0: <laughs> can you thinking back, Sarah, thinking back as a kid, can you, can you remember the first time you accomplished something that you had set as a goal?
2: Hmm. Is
0: there anything that stands out to you?
2: Yeah. You know, I was mainly in like team sports growing up, which I think is great for kids when they're younger to start that way versus like individual sports, like running. Um, but I'm trying to remember when the first time I had like a tangible goal, um, like I won the state championship in my freshman year of high school, but I wouldn't say even at that point, like I, I had that as a goal. Like I was kind of naively just like out there <laughs> competing and, and, uh, no one really, yeah, was giving me much instruction. I was kind of just, just running and, and I won the cross country cha- state championship and the mile and the two mile. I think it was really the next year. Um, cause I, I made it to the national championships on a fluke, but getting there to the national championships, like I was like, I want to win this race one day. And I kind of became obsessed with, with winning that race, um, before the end of high school. So I think that's the first like tangible goal. I remember
0: you naively won state championships in three different events.
2: Like I was always, um, really driven like in the training. And so I would, um, I started training the summer before my freshman year of high school and, and our coach kind of gave out these generic mileage plans. It was like beginning intermediate or advanced, And I was like, well, I want to be good. So I'm just going to do the advanced plan. But it had me like running like 16 mile long runs and like all this stuff that I, I was not ready for at all, but um, my body adapted to it. And so, so yeah, my, my early wins were really just like, I was kind of, I had kind of been working, doing a lot more mileage and stuff than most high schoolers really did. And so, um, so it it was like what I lacked in experience. Like I kind of, had made up just in, in the hard work and the fitness and stuff. It was more later that I had to really, um, to, to make it to the next level and stuff had to really like know what I was doing. And so, and stuff. but at first, yeah, it was, it was it was fun because there was no pressure and it was just like, I was surprising myself every time out kind of.
0: Do you <laughs> sure. remember, do you remember the first time you, you ran?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, our, our church had this, um, program called Awana approved workmen are not ashamed. I think it stands for, but it, uh, it was like a Bible memory verse program, but then they had the Iwana Olympics every year. And it was like these different races and games that were played around this circle. And I was so into it. Like it was my first kind of experience running around a track, even though it's like this little circle drawn around like a gym floor. And I was like, I was really, really into that every year, and then, um, but it was yeah, the summer before my seventh grade year that I decided I was going to do cross country um, in seventh grade, and and I started training that summer for for cross country. Even though most incoming seventh graders like don't train over the summer for for it, but like that was just kind of my personality, and I I found I just loved exploring the trails across the street from my house. Um, Where, did just to
0: re- Where did you grow? Where did you
2: grow? Yeah, I grew up in Santa Rosa, um, California, so Northern California, pretty similar to running and topography and beautiful trails and stuff. And I think that's a lot of what made me a runner was just, I loved being in nature. I loved, I grew up across the street from a massive state park and um, I'm not sure if I would have found running if it, if it wasn't for that. So I'm thankful to my parents for that.
1: <laughs> so Sarah, you're, you're, you're throwing out some, some phrases like hard work. Uh, you said you wanted to see what your limits are you mentioned why not me? What can you, can you talk, can we rewind a little bit and talk about what it was like growing up in your house and, and sort of the lessons and, and things that, that you learned from your, from your family as a child?
2: Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. Cause you know, I, I think people from the outside thought my parents must have been really overbearing or something because my sister and I ended up, um, you know, she went to Harvard PhD and, and stuff. And then, um, but they, they weren't really that way. Like they, um, they definitely encouraged us to work hard and like do your best. Like it wasn't necessarily about like performance as much as your best effort, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, um, there's a Bible verse, Colossians three twenty three. whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for men. And that was, I would say, kind of like a family motto where it was it was about giving your best effort, like doing it unto the Lord and not as much for like maybe this external validation from people or grades or anything else. But, um, you know, if I, I didn't get very bad grades ever, but if I did, they'd kind of be like, well, did you do your best? And so, so yeah, I, I mean, I think there was good and bad things. Like, I think it did set me up somewhat in my faith I feel like to have a bit of a performance mentality and some of that might have just been my personality where, um, it was, it was like still kind of like doing your best, like for God, you know, versus just like, and that's maybe a a whole rabbit trail we could go down. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, I would say in general, like it was, um, they were really good at letting, letting me, uh, they could tell I was in intern intrinsically motivated. And so they didn't really have to like push me. I think they just, um, they were good at just like, even holding me back in a way. some in like, especially running early on, they didn't let me do a, a bunch of the opportunities that were available. Cause they kind of wanted to like pace me in the sport and stuff. So, so yeah, they did a good job.
1: I love it. You mentioned you had a sister that went to Harvard. Do you have any other
0: siblings?
2: Do I have a younger brother who's uh, five and a half years younger? Okay. And- so where did
0: where did where did this faith come from? Like, what did faith look like growing up? Did you go? Did you guys go to church? What did what did it feel like in in the home? And and how did it stick?
2: Yeah, faith was a big part of our family. Um, my mom grew up in a Christian home, and my dad did not. Um, they were kind of like traditional Catholics that would go kind of on holidays or things, but he actually, uh, came to have a really strong Christian faith in college. My parents both met at Stanford and, um, and so that was something by the time they met that they, they shared and, and really wanted to raise us, um, in a Christian home. And and we, we always went to church, never, never really missed that. And, um, it was a really like solid Bible believing church and really community focused. And, um, you know, we didn't talk a lot about faith stuff necessarily like at home, but, um, but it was definitely like family values as a family were like very Bible centered. And, um, you know, Christmas was like very much about like Jesus. It wasn't, wasn't about Santa ever or things like that. And, um, I think, yeah, I, I definitely saw in my parents' life, like that was a, a really big, uh, that was their entire internal compass was the Bible and God and, and praying about decisions and, and things like that. And so they've really passed that down to me, I think.
0: So, so where, as you think back and, and look back on growing up, where did it become yours and not theirs? Right. When, can Or can you point to a moment or can you point to an experience where maybe you stood on your own two feet when it came to, to, to faith and, in, in Jesus Christ and maybe where the Bible became something more than just something mom and dad always talked about.
2: You know, I raised my hand to accept Jesus, uh, at four years old in in Sunday school. And I, I just, I never really remember a time not having a hunger for God. So I think some of that was, a, a it was probably both nature and nurture. Like I think that was nurtured, but also I, I think I just naturally have like a hunger for spiritual things. And, um, I remember like I was reading the Bible, like really early on, like third, fourth grade, just on my own wanting to, to know more, wanting to, um, read the whole Bible and multiple times over and, and had my own time with God. And a lot of that, what, what it looked like from my tradition at the time was like Bible study was kind of like how you spent time with God. And it was, it was a little bit more, um, structured and stuff than, than what I would do now. But, um, but yeah, I think, uh, I remember just like hiking up on like hillsides and just being like, God, I'm going to wait here for you until you speak to me. And, you know, I was in high school and like, just really, really genuinely like wanted to know him and, but also wanted to really serve him and, and do like obey his commandments, obey like the way that he laid out for us to live through Jesus's life. Um, I just, yeah, I just remember always uh, being like that, I guess. So I don't, I don't know if there's ever like a shift, but I also had a really great youth group, which I really credit um, my youth group leader because that was our, my entire like social life in high school was, was doing stuff surrounded by Christian community. And, and I think that just like kept me from ever wandering from my faith or like getting in trouble or anything because all my friends were just kind of wanting the same things and wanting good, clean fun and, and just like in it together. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was a, a great environment to be raised for sure.
0: Well, as you think about your, as you think about your parents now, how do you honor them? How do you honor your mom and dad today?
2: It's a good question. I think, um, being a mom, like realize how selfless it is and, and my mom even more so, like she didn't work. Um, the whole time we were in the home and, um, and she, she said that when we were young, she would like get up every day and, and, just be like, so excited to, um, what new things she could expose us to that day. And, so, and like, she was just like a mom that more than anyone I've met, like motherhood was like an art, you know? And she really, I think, I think like we're the product of that. Like my siblings being happy and, and, and thriving in what we're doing and stuff. And so, but now being a mom, like I realized how hard that is. Like, like I'm not. Invested only in my kids, you know, like that, and and so I think I really honor her willingness to do that, and and her just delight in us. Um, I'm really grateful for that, and and my dad too. I think you know he didn't really have a model for a healthy family growing up. He kind of grew up alone, more or less, and um, and so I just look at like his value for family, and and so much a lot was working to provide for us and and provide you know for whatever opportunities we wanted to pursue like running and um, but also like being present in the ways that like he didn't have a parent present in his life and coaching my basketball team every year and um and never missing like one of my sports events or things like that and so so yeah I'm, I'm really grateful for them
1: So Sarah, you, 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 you talk a little bit about your, your parents and your siblings and, and we've talked a little bit about some of the early successes that you had in running where, what happens next after, after you win these high school competitions and things are going there, where, where do you end up next?
2: Yeah. Well, um, high school, you know, it started out really um, winning those state championships as a championships as a freshman, but I started to have some rockier periods like as high school went on. um, And definitely started to feel the pressure to perform. Um, I did there all of a sudden the internet was becoming a big thing and running websites with like anonymous message boards that I stumbled upon. And, um, and I realized people were like criticizing me if I failed in a race. And it was kind of like, we all are wired to want like love and acceptance and connection from people. And just starting to see that, that you could lose that by failing. Um, and, And so that started to kind of be the seed of the fear of failure in my life. Um, and that was something I would go on to battle for like many years. Um, and, and eventually was able to address like through my faith, but, um, but yeah, I would say in high school, like it started out really, you know, nothing to lose and like having all having success. And, and, but then later, like really had to deal with pressure, deal with expectations, deal with, um, being afraid to fail, and but um, but thankfully, I did have kind of the happy ending at the end of high school that I, um, it, it took me all the way to my senior year, but I and eventually did win that Foot Locker national championship that I dreamed of, and um, it was a really special moment because I had, I had kind of overcome a lot to get to that point. Sarah, can you you know can you talk for
1: a second about the about fear of
2: failure? I mean, I,
1: I don't you know I just. It's interesting because I think obviously, you know that's not a unique thought to you, right? There's probably a lot of people that have had that thought. and I think there's you know there, we, we're probably safe to say there's there's people that have not been able to overcome that, right and, and have have struggled with that idea of of maybe not being able to reach their potential or or, or letting someone down. so therefore they don't uh, get to the place where they can even start. Can you talk for a, just a, a little bit about what that what that uh, that obstacle was for you and, and uh, what it was like to overcome that?
2: Yeah, for me, you know, I think I'm I'm like a very performance oriented person. I don't know if you've done the Enneagram, um, but I'm like a three, like the achiever. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's like, that, I mean, you can probably hear it in what I've already said, but like, um, you like definitely my performances have always like really mattered to me and, and I've put a lot into them. And I think, um, yeah, so it started in, in high school. It was, but it just increased with each year. So in college I was on scholarship and that's kind of like being paid to perform, you know? And so now all of a sudden expectation went up another level. Cause it's like, you're, it's not, you're not just doing this for you. Like in high school, you're actually like, they're, they're expecting you to deliver on their investment in you and then you become a professional and it's like even more so like that's your job to perform you know and uh but you know what? our bodies they're not machines like as much as we'd love for them to just be a robot and do exactly what we want them to do like be hard to figure out at times and I went through some pretty pretty difficult like some difficult years in college and then early on professionally too where and then the when I was going through those struggles, like the anxiety was just increasing because I felt like I was letting people down. I felt like I was letting my coaches down, my sponsors. I I was feeling like I knew what the criticism being just under the, um, the public eye, you know, like if you had a bad race, how you would be criticized and torn apart, um, anonymously by people. And, um, and so, yeah, you know, that I think just, it just compounded and, and I think, it was hard because like I was, I was putting more into it, right? Like, I think you, you kind of double down, like when you're trying to succeed at something, but failing and it's your job to succeed. Like it just makes you try harder, but sometimes that's like counterproductive. Like that's part of the problem, you know, is actually, you need like rest or recovery and, you know, it's a long story, but really it kind of came to a head where I just, I failed a lot. Um, I, I was it's a miracle. I was still sponsored by my sponsor ASICS at the time. Cause, um, in 2009, like I, I got last, I think in the U S national championship on the track and, um, was just not performing at the level of a professional athlete. And, um, and it just like kind of brought me to the end of my own strength. I think I, I just experienced success for so long and it kind of came easy and I really enjoyed the hard work and, um, I think I was I was confident in my ability for so long, but it, it really brought me to a point of weakness of like I'm doing everything I can and I'm getting worse, you know and yeah. um and so but God really used that moment like I think He just needed me to be at that point to really meet me and it was it was at that point that I experienced His unconditional love in a way I never had. Um, you know I'd always heard at a, like an intellectual level. Like I knew about the unconditional love of God. Um, But I think it takes like those, those moments um, where you're like just dependent so much on him for it to go from your head to your heart. And, uh, and that's what it was for me. That in that moment, like God really met me and I experienced his love in a way I just, I never had, even though I knew about it my whole life. And I started to realize how there's nothing we can do that would make God love us any less. Um, no failure, you know, nothing. And there's also nothing we could do that would make him love us more. Like if we win more or anything, he doesn't love us anymore. And he just loves us because he loves us and he created us. And, um, and he just delights in watching us do the things he created us to do, like no matter what place it is or how fast it is. And, Um, and so, yeah, that was, um, that was just so healing to me. That was exactly what I needed to kind of confront that fear head on.
0: Sarah, not everyone is, um, is doing what you're doing, right. Um, maybe not pushing to the limits that you're pushing, but they are being pushed. And as Tyler was saying, that fear of failure is not a unique thing. You know, as we talk to people, it's probably the most common Uh, fear of the people that we talked to on this program. And, and so to the person that is racked with that anxiety, to the person that is having a hard time transferring from the head to the heart, that understanding that God loves them, what would you say? What could they do?
2: I think it's a really personal journey, but definitely reaching out to God in, in that place. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear so it's like the more love you're filled with from God, from other people that love you unconditionally. You know, I experienced a lot of love for my husband because um, even during this time, like um, even, even family members were kind of like, why is Sarah still running? Like she should just be supporting you, Ryan. And I was getting a lot of, that felt like rejection to me, you know, even from close family members. And, uh, but my husband was really unconditionally loving as well, really supportive and, so, yeah, I would say, um, just plugging into the love of God, um, for me, that's, that's, uh, like resting and receiving it, like just, um, in prayer, but also you can read about God's love in the Bible and, and his unconditional love and what that looks like. Um, and I think, I think for me, it kind of, it was a snowballing effect, right? Like it's, it's, um, I just started to, that love displaced some of the fear and, and I was able to feel a little bit more free the next time out. And then if I failed again, like I was like, you know what, this, I've, I've already been here before. Like I'm not gonna die. Um, there's always another race and I'm not even gonna remember this race a few years from now. And so like snowballed the other way where the more free I got, the easier it was to get even more freed up in that area and to take risks again and to put myself out there because, um, yeah, I, I just kind of gained momentum in that area. Um, and I think, I think you realize you're able to get greater perspective where you're like, okay, yeah, this, I, I failed, but, um, there's another race. I'm going to be bummed for the day and then I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to remember why I do what I do and, and how much I love it. And, I'm just gonna have really short-term memory with that, and just like keep moving forward. And yeah, it's it's kind of like a muscle, I guess, that you kind of it gets stronger as you use it.
0: Yeah, I love that. What uh, what did you say? I mean, we've all got that internal voice, right? Um, that self-talk. How do you uh, how do you overcome doubt?
2: Question. I think that's something I've tried to be intentional. Especially, um, I think we 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 have that those doubts in our head. I think what I especially nip in the bud is what I speak out loud. Um, that's something I learned from my pastor in Reading, Chris Valton, is um, how our words are powerful and like what we speak over ourselves actually like changes us, you know. And uh, and so especially when I start to like vocalize doubts or like I think a lot of times it comes in the form of sarcasm or kind of joking, you know, where you're like oh, I'm terrible at this or, oh, I'm, I'm probably going to bomb this or, you know, something like that. Just kind of joking around, It I think can be cultural, but I've really tried not to do that at all and really only speak life over myself. And I've noticed a difference with that. Um, especially even as now I'm, I'm turning 38 next month or this month or next April. Um, and that's really rare to be running your fastest at 38. But one thing I've just tried not to do is ever to say I'm old. Like, I'm not going to say like joke about being old or use the grandma emoji or like (laughs) a lot of things that you see athletes do where they're like, oh, my, you know, that felt fast because I'm old. Um, Like, I'm like, no, like I'm nothing about me feels old. So I'm not going to like speak that over myself. And I'm and yeah. So anyways, I think that's part of it. It's hard to control all your thoughts like. For sure. I think that, but uh, yeah, definitely it's easier to control what you say.
0: (laughs) Well, Sarah, can I ask this million dollar question then? Um, Number one, I didn't ask you how old you were. I want to say for the record that you volunteered that information, (laughs) right? As a gentleman, never a gentleman never would. But since you did ask, since you did offer that up, I want to, I want to throw this question out there. How is it? You said yourself, our bodies aren't machines. How is it that you are running your best right now?
2: I'm not exactly sure. Um, I think part of it is is what I just mentioned, but this part of it. I mean, at some point, no matter what my attitude is, like I'm going to slow down, you know, right? And that's just reality. But um, you know, I think um, some of it was I just just how I my training went really on as a pro. I think I I left some kind of mileage on my tires so to speak um because I kind of got a little too focused on the speed work and not enough mileage um in my track career which is which was one of the reasons I think I didn't do very well um during those periods I mentioned so so I think it left a little bit of room to to grow my aerobic capacity which I didn't know about um when I we adopted our kids like I thought I'd probably was on the tail end of my career and I didn't I didn't know what they were going to need. Most of the families we'd talked to that had adopted older kids from Ethiopia, like it was very life altering. And they were like, you're not going to be able to do this career anymore. Just so you know, like you need to be like in a position to be ready for that. And, and so I was like for them, like, I, I think I didn't want to be, but, um, but I was willing, but, um, but yeah, surprisingly, I think I've, I've discovered some different ways, to kind of grow my aerobic capacity without the pounding and um, and just tried some kind of outside the box things that I think have helped me to continue to make gains um, while also avoiding injuries. But, but yeah, it's kind of, it's taken some um, outside the box thinking for sure.
0: There's lots of places I I could go with this and I'm just, I, I, I'm curious about your decision to adopt four girls from Ethiopia. Could you walk us through that decision? Could you walk us through here? I mean, you, you and your husband have a life, right? You have professional athlete careers. Can you walk us through that?
2: I kind of, I'd always wanted to adopt internationally from a young age. I I had a lot of adopted cousins and it was kind of normal in my family and it was not really on Ryan's grid at all. Um, that was kind of my plan A was... To grow our family through adoption but we figured we would start with one baby and and we you know I traveled in Africa already because my sister does malaria research and so I visited her in some different countries and you see the orphan crisis over there and um obviously international adoption isn't the solution to that but for a few kids it could be you know and I think um that just naturally like pulls on your heart when you're there and um And so, so we decided on Ethiopia and we were just going to adopt one baby since it was our first kid. Um, And even at that point, I was not quite ready to be a mom yet. I was just starting to assess professionally than I had been having. And, um, and as, as I mentioned, I had a lot of struggle and, but Ryan was at a different place in his career. He was kind of winding down and really feeling the, the pull to have a family And so, um, yeah, we, but as we started the process, you know, we spent some time over in Ethiopia and we saw the older kids in the orphanages and they pretty much would get stuck after age three. Like the chances of being adopted were really slim. And, and we were like, man, we would adopt any of these kids. Like they're wonderful. And, um, so God kind of opened up our hearts through, through a number of circumstances to instead consider older kids. And, uh, and we heard about our girls, um, from like a Facebook group, surprisingly for people that are in the process to adopt from Ethiopia. And they'd been waiting for a family for three years. And, um, and so, you know, at like a mental level, you're like, I would love to give these girls a home. Like we have the space and we don't have kids yet. So it's easier. And, um, but, but for me, I was was like man this could be like the end of the world as we know it like we have no idea what we're getting <laughs> ourselves into and it sounds sad now like knowing my kids but at the time like I just you know I didn't know them and I didn't know it's like adoption is like signing the bottom of a blank contract where you don't know what it's going to entail you know it's like come what may like you're times great. four
0: right come what yeah. may times four
2: we're both a little bit of impulsive people and I think also just like to taking on challenges we're used to going after big things and not being afraid. And so I think there are certain things of how we're wired that maybe made us more like willing to entertain this idea than most people, um, hard to be a professional athlete and, and take it on for sure. And so definitely had to like count the cost and, um, and I, I don't, I wouldn't say like, I felt like a clear word from God on it. I just felt like a freedom to choose. And it very much was a choice, like it was like, all right, we're just gonna like jump off this cliff and like just figure <laughs> it out as we go, and and yeah, that's kind of how it was.
1: Sarah, Mike sent me this quote today that I think it's from you. All right, so I'm gonna quote you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. All right, but this hey. is, it says when you're trying to be the best in the world at something, your life is never going to be balanced. And I, I'm I'm listening to you talk about taking on these, these four girls and starting this family and you're, you're busy with your career and you know, you're, I'm sure your husband's busy with, with his career. And, and so now you, things are, are, are real, real busy, right? it's a whole new level of busy. So what does, so we've, we, learned from your, uh, your quote that balance isn't there. So what does juggling look like? How, how do you make all of those things work?
2: Yeah, I think you nailed it with the juggling because it isn't a balance. It's more of a juggle. Um, That image just fits it better where it's I try to be like all in on what I'm doing, like at the moment. Right. So when I'm training, like I try to arrange things so that the kids have what they need and I'm not worried about them. and I'm not thinking about that. And I'm fully invested in what I'm doing in the moment, you know, and then when I'm home, like it's a little trickier now they're still doing school at home, (laughs) but, um, but thankfully don't need as much from me right now. But, um, but yeah, I try to then be really present too, and not be, um, still doing exercises or things like trying to get that as much as possible done before they get home from school. Um, but, but there's some blending there where, you know, before a lot of A lot of my job isn't just the training, like it's it's the whole package of resting and recovery and nutrition. And that's been a big adjustment because before I would just I would train and then I would go into like energy conserve mode where like ideally you just like didn't get out of bed and like watch Netflix the whole rest of until you trained again, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, wait, I could be a
0: wait, I could be a professional athlete. that part nailed
2: (laughs) yeah there's there's some upsides for sure but um but but no I don't get to do that anymore it's you know being a parent you cannot go in energy conserve mode pretty much ever and so that that's taken a little you know that still is hard for me in some ways like I know what it's like to be really dialed in with what I do and and sometimes I miss my old lifestyle because I was able to give more to my sport um as, as terrible as that sounds, like I'm grateful for my kids and stuff, but you have those moments, right? Where you're mm-hmm. like, um, like you have a really big race coming up and you're like, man, I wish I could be resting more or whatever. But um, I've just tried to encourage myself. Like I'm still improving every year since becoming a mom. And so even though my life looks different from my competitors, um, like it's working for me and, and we're figuring it out.
1: That's great. I, I think that's, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of people now that can relate to the idea of juggling now, maybe not juggling an Olympic career and four (laughs) children at the same time, but juggling nonetheless. And I, I think it's important to just, you know, that, that uh, we realize that, uh, you know, I think there's this thought that we have to strike a perfect balance in all things, you know, and I just, and I loved your idea of, I'm just, whatever I'm in, if it's training or if it's being a mom, that's where I'm at. Right, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people can learn from that. I I love that. I love that thought. Thank you for sharing that.
0: Well, and Tyler, it kind of reminds me of the thought we had last episode when we were talking about getting a grip on it versus kind of going with the current. Yeah, absolutely. Right, and going yeah. with going with things, and and uh, four kids are going to take you to different places, and yeah, being, in, being into what they're into and being supportive of them, and it sounds like they're into some things that you're into, and maybe maybe they've got some interests that are new to you, right?
2: Definitely. Yeah. My uh, Jasmine wants to be a Hollywood actress slash model slash singer. (laughs) And so that's like really off my grid. And she's wanting, (laughs) she's like, mom, can I do this audition in LA? And I'm kind of like, Oh, I'm not sure you're at that place yet. But um, yeah, but I think it'll be a fun adventure with her. It's going to stretch me absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, and I want to give credit really quick. Tyler dropped that quote. That quote was from your runner's world, uh, article. And I, I really appreciated having the chance to read about that even before the podcast, right? Just, just following Ryan and Sarah hall and your girls, because, uh, here in Reading, we love you guys. And it was great to, to read that article, but, um, you know, it's interesting to know you and you and Ryan as, as, Parents of the of of your girls, but you're kind of a big deal in that running world, Sarah Hall. Like (laughs) it was running running's power couple. So, yeah. Can you can you tell me a little bit about how you how you met Ryan? Go back in in time and walk us through that.
2: I met Ryan in high school. We were seniors in high school and. Uh, he grew up in Big Bear Lake, California, so other opposite end of California than me. But um I saw that uh, you know, sometimes at the state meet or kids will ask for autographs for the top runners. And so I was signing an autograph and I I would always write a Bible verse and I saw that he had signed his name with a Bible verse. And so I was like, Oh, that's cool. Cause you didn't see that really ever. And uh I, I reached out to him over email and was just just encouraged him in his faith. And we met um we met later at another race in person, but he had had a bad race. So it was, uh, he was like in a foul mood. (laughs) It was not a great first impression. Um, and he was pretty shy. And so even at the next race, the national championships, um, he, I didn't talk to him much. He was, he was really introverted and, but it was, it was interesting because we both ended up committing to Stanford that February of our senior year individually, obviously. And, and then I was that June. We were at the state track meet, um, and in between races, there was this park nearby, and I was kind of stretching. And he he came up, and we were chatting. And and as he was leaving, like the clearest I've heard the voice of God in my life ever was in that moment. And he said, "Like that's the man you're going to marry." And it wasn't like an audible voice, but it was just like a knowing. And and that was not common for me at all. Like I had only dated one person, really short, and was like bored with him really quickly and you know like i i did not like fall head over heels for for boys ever um and and so i was kind of like whoa and um and i didn't tell him that obviously but as we went to the preseason camp with stanford before um freshman year i just kind of had my eye on him obviously and um and we just started to just get to know each other a little there and and then it, uh god uh, i could just see his hand through relationship from the beginning, like our dorms were right next to each other. And so we ended up walking everywhere together the first week of freshman year and and ended up having our first date that week. And, um, and it was, we dated all four years of college and got married right after college. And it was, it was very linear and and it felt just like, yeah, like the, the clearest I've ever felt something was God's will was like, I never questioned that, um, with Ryan, like was, it was really obvious.
0: Well, I, I, one of the things I just want to pull again from that article, there was a runner that I think uh, was quoted. I think he's a, uh, she's a trainer. uh, She, she was being trained by Ryan in the article. She said, Ryan's goals are Sarah's goals and Sarah's goals are Ryan's goals. That sounds really easy in a marriage. How do you make that work?
2: Yeah. It's, it's been an evolution because early on in our pro career, Ryan was the one really succeeding. He was setting American records and, um, and I was, took more of a supporting role. And, and that was hard because, um, you know, I was used to being the star to be honest. Like I, um, I was actually performing better than him most of college and, and in high school. And, um, and, but then I was kind of struggling. And so I, I ended up, you know, since he was the one really nailing it, like, taking the brunt of things like to support him. And, um, and that's hard when you're still, I was still competing and I was still caring about, and and if anything, you want to do more for yourself, right. To like, try to get yourself in a better place. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, I think we've always kind of seen each other as a team. Like I was, I was just very invested in his career and wanted his success even more than my own. And, and then it, it was neat to just feel the natural evolution of that change when he retired and then started coaching me and spending a lot of time training with me on the bike. And, um, and so it was, it was almost like he was able to pay back in a way, like, and I think that's healthy. I feel like is always like one person supporting the other person that isn't as healthy as they're just being different seasons, right. Where it's like shifting and, and like, you're constantly just kind of like, all right, like during the season, I'm going to pick up the slack for you here and then that's gonna you know and that's kind of how it's been for us even now like he he has a lot of stuff going on too um but even though he's retired from running and and so it it takes a lot of um just communication and and like just really like being for each other to to like yeah just balance or not balance but more the juggle of yeah you um lending support, but then being like, okay, now I, I really need to, I need your help here.
0: <laughs> okay. I just, I, I got to ask this question. Is there any, is there any instance where he's on that bike coaching you while you're running, yelling things at you, that you're just done with him? Having your <laughs> husband, having your husband as your coach and you're all out running and he's on a bike do you, is there any time where it's just like enough of this
2: yeah well we we definitely have gotten in a fair amount of fights um, <laughs> with him on the bike and it, it's not like him being a slave driver it's more like just how things can spiral in a marriage like I, my tone isn't very nice when I'm saying something and then he's he snaps and then you know and it just escalates and um and but it's tricky because I had a conversation recently about like let's try to like more professional hack when we're together. Cause I think like we, that just wasn't like our role. Like I have a, a friend up here that she started as an athlete to her coach now fiance, but like they started in that role. So it's easier for them to kind of like go back to how that was, but for us, like that was really ever who we were together. So we just bring our same selves to training now, but, um, but yeah, it, it can be tricky because it's really hard to, if you're having a fight at home to like leave that at home and, and have like a successful training bout, you know, in, in spite of it.
0: Do you remember? Do you remember the Bible verse you used to sign off on? Was it always the yeah.
2: same? Yeah, I would. I would usually write Colossians three twenty three, the one I quoted earlier. Mm-hmm. And Ryan would write Isaiah forty thirty one. Um, Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Love it. Is, yeah.
0: <laughs> Love that. It, where you're at now in your life, and your personal life, and your career, it, is there anything that, uh, is there anything that you could say you've learned the hard way? Any particular yeah. lesson that uh, that really stung, that really taught you something?
2: Failure part. I really wish I could have learned that a lot earlier. Kind <laughs> of, I feel like I would have enjoyed so much more of my career if I had had a breakthrough with that and, and been able to identify it earlier.
1: Sarah, we we live we live in a world that's that's complicated, right? There's a lot of stuff going on all the time. I mean, some of that's our own our own doing, and some of that's just outside forces. But what you know, you're raising four daughters. You've got some athletes. You've got a future uh, Hollywood movie star on your hands. <laughs> got all kinds of good stuff going on. But what 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 is uh, if if there's something that you could instill in them, what would that be that you'd want them to take away as they grow up and get into adulthood
2: i you know i really hope that's what's been special about still doing this career with kids because i never thought i would be a working mom or or want to keep doing this with kids but um i still had a lot of passion for the sport and just it didn't feel and and they were they transitioned so beautifully it allowed me to keep doing it um sad that i see as as challenging as it is to to juggle and stuff the upside is i get to models stuff to them like in real time and and you know with kids more is like caught than taught right like they they learn more through watching you do stuff um than what you're kind of like preaching at them and and so you know I really hope my kids find something that makes them come alive um I think all kids need to see their parents like come alive doing something you know and not just kind of be slaves to the kids like I which my mom like she came alive as a mom like She like loved it so much, you know, but, um, so it doesn't have to be like a career, but like, I think just not like martyrdom, you know, like, I think like, and so I get to show my kids that like, what it means to work hard for something that do something excellently and serve God and serve other people through that. Um, like for me, I, I have a place of influence in my sphere and, but you don't have to, you know, like you can do that in, in a local level or just um and I think um also just they've they've watched me fail like epically on like the biggest stages they've watched me put my heart out there like over and over and um you know just want something so bad like making the Olympic marathon team a year ago and I was I went in with the fastest time in the field but but got crushed by the course and dropped out a few miles from the finish line and they saw how much I put into that race. Um, they saw my disappointment. Like I invited them in to the whole process, you know, but then they saw me like pick myself back up and like continue to like train through a pandemic when there's no races and there's, you have no idea when the next race will be. And, um, and then finally get my opportunity to race and, and then have the race of my life there. And, and so it's like that kind of stuff. Like, I want to, I want to show them how to like pick yourself back up over and over, like never to be discouraged, like to just, um, yeah, to just have short-term memory with your failures and, and just be resilient.
0: (laughs) There's so much, there's, there's two points I just want to make there, Sarah. You mentioned not making the Olympic trials there At, at that stage in your career. You might have even have have had people or the, the, the commentary of like it's time to hang it up. How do you bounce back from that disappointment and and continue on? And then the next question is: what the heck happened in London? Right? <laughs> you refer to that yeah. as your the right the race of your life. That video of you coming down the stretch, like it I moves. Think- it moves me to tears. Right. And I don't even run. So, so how do you pick it up and what happened in London?
2: I think, yeah. Um, well, so, um, yeah, back to the first question, I think that was really interesting. Right. Cause I think, yeah, 37, like probably missed out on my last chance to make an Olympic team in the marathon. At least I'll have the track trials this summer, but, um, But yeah, if there was ever a time to kind of hit cruise control, it would have been then because we hit the pandemic, like everything in the near future was canceled. Um, I have four kids, they're all doing school at home, like, if there's ever a time where you want to kind of wind down, like, it seems like that would be the time. But similar to like I said, when we adopted, like, I, I just still had so much passion for the sport. And And just felt like there was so much potential I hadn't seen yet come out. Like the, the, the trials race was not my best performance, like my best, everything I was capable of. Like I got thwarted by the Hills in there and stuff, but I didn't really get to see what my potential was there. And, um, and so I I was just motivated to keep mining that out. Um, especially as you are like an older runner, like you don't know how many more years you have to improve. So I just still hit the gas and just, I'm like, I'm going to keep training in in faith that there'll be an opportunity at some point. I don't know when, but, um, I want to keep improving while I can keep improving. And, um, and so, so that was, yeah, it really made me realize how much passion I still have for the sport. And I think that's something only you can know your path, right? Like, like you said, people are probably like, I'm done. And, um, People have have declared me done like so many times in my career. It's funny, but it's a good lesson of like, only, you know, when you're done, you know, don't let anyone else tell you when you're done. Like that's your, it's your path, you know? Um, and then London. Yeah. Um, so I trained all through the pandemic, had my best marathon training built upon all the strength I'd gained in my training for the Olympic trials and heard that they were going to have an, a, a professional only field in this COVID bubble. They were, they're basically the only marathon to happen during COVID, um, last year. And, um, and I just jumped at the opportunity. I, I would like begged my agent to get me in and thankfully they got me on the starting line. And, um, and yeah, the race, you know, honestly, um, it was, it, it became my, my biggest, my, my best race in my career, but it didn't look like that for a lot of the race. It was cold and rainy and windy. And, and I found myself completely running alone. Like there was a group of Kenyan and Ethiopian girls up ahead running with the world record holder, Bridget Kosky. And then there was a gap and then me and then a gap and the rest of the runners. And so you do not want to be running a marathon completely alone. Like you, you need other people to push you and, It's just so much easier to work together, especially when it's windy. And then because of COVID, there was no spectators allowed. So it was completely silent out there. And we're doing one mile loops in front of Buckingham Palace. So which I've never run a marathon on like one mile loops before. (laughs) And uh, so it's like, it's kind of like the perfect storm of everything. If I had to design like a scenario for me, it would have been that. Plus throw in like a ton of hills if, if you could add that in, then it would like definitely be like the worst case scenario. Um, but, uh, so there was definitely like moments I was feeling sorry for myself out there. I was like, man, this is, this is the worst place to be. And I'm so fit and I'm just like completely running alone. And, and, but I was able to kind of slap myself in that moment and be like, you are so blessed to have this opportunity to race. Like no one gets to run a marathon right now during COVID. Like take advantage of this opportunity. You're in the best shape of your life. And then I, I just started kind of telling myself all the positive things, like they're going to come back to you. And, um, but it was really that gratitude that kept me moving forward in the race. And eventually I did start catching people and and moving up and eventually moved into third and, um, and then, yeah, in the final stretch, getting second place in that dramatic finish. And and it made me realize afterwards, like, man, wh- how many opportunities do we miss out on because we let discouragement win, you know, and like take us out of the race. Like what could have been our like biggest breakthrough um, It is was, was kind of a humbling moment for sure. Um, but yeah, just really special because like on the bus on the way over there, I was like, man, I would love to do something inspiring today. Like it's just a time where everyone's struggling and, and even if you're healthy and like, People are struggling to just get out the door to run, stay motivated because there's no races and stuff, so it'd be great to be able to inspire people through my race um but it's just not something you can really manufacture like you kind of just go out there and do your best and but I really felt like it was a moment preparation meeting opportunity and and God kind of created this moment uh where um it all kind of came together and like and so yeah it was it was really special
0: and then. And then in December you posted two twenty.
2: Yeah. So as, as old as I was for London, it was pretty much the best that race could have gone for me. Um, I, I placed to run fast just with the conditions and, um, running alone. And so, so we knew about this race happening in my home state of Arizona, 11 weeks later. And it's kind of untraditional to run back to back marathons, but I was, t- I was like, you know what? I don't know when the next marathon is going to be with COVID like, I just want to give it a shot, and so so we decided to go for it and and see if I could get the American record, which is two nineteen forty seven or something and so i I was a little bit short of that but um but it was still a special day.
0: okay, you mentioned back to back marathons. I have to ask, I know it's about Sarah, and it's not about Ryan, but the seven marathons, seven days, seven continents,
2: yeah yeah um where did
0: that come from and how in the world was he able to do that
2: yeah that was uh that was a special thing ryan heard about it from a pastor friend of his um that he had spoken at the dream center church in angelus temple in la and um and he was like hey ryan i'm gonna do this crazy thing to raise money for the dream center and you should join me and uh And Ryan at the time was like, not even running. And so he was, but that just like sparked something in him. Ryan has always been someone that likes like epic challenges. And so he, uh, yeah, he was like, I'm in, even though he was like not running at all. And uh, it ended up being a special thing because he, he kind of never got to say goodbye to the marathon in his career. He kind of had had just failures and disappointments um, Injuries and things where he was dropping out for injuries, and so it was kind of a moment where on the last marathon in Sydney, he left his shoes on the finish line, and it was kind of a symbolic way of of being like, "That's my last marathon; I'm never going to run," and, and he had some closure with his career. So, Sarah, what's the
0: best, what's the best advice you've ever gotten, Sarah?
2: Oh man, um,
0: coach, parent, youth leader.
2: Who? Well. Um, I think it's probably something Bill Johnson, uh, my pastor from Reading said, he said, you become what you behold. And he's, he's talking about in relation to the more time we spend in God's presence, like the more we become like him, you know, and that's kind of the intention of, of spending time with God is like um, being, we're made in his image, but it's like reflecting who he is and, But, but you could take that a lot of different ways too, right? Like, um, like how do you, how you see yourself, you know, and like you become like what, what you're putting in front of yourself and like what you're most aware of and stuff. If you see yourself as I'm just a sinner saved by grace, like you're going to keep sinning, you know, but if you see yourself as God's child, like made in his image and then you're going to act that out too. And so, um, yeah, I, I would say that.
1: Sarah, what, what gives you hope today?
2: Um, that's a good question. Well, it's obviously been a really challenging year in so many ways, but I think what I've loved is seeing people's rise up and defend people that, um, are marginalized and just, or, and come together around things like, um, especially with the pandemic, just, yeah. Just, it, it feels like a moment where people are more um, like our interconnectedness is, is becoming really uh, just, we're more aware of it than ever. Um, and uh, yeah, just so many beautiful ways of um, of people stepping up and being allies about, you know, matters of race or like, yeah, I think there's like the downsides of all of these things, but also like the beautiful parts too, in the midst of it, of, of humanity, like caring for the people that are struggling all throughout these different things that have happened. I love that
1: answer. There's, you know, it's such a, such a crazy time with the, you know, you, you mentioned all of the social things going on and, and obviously we were, we're in, hopefully coming to the tail end of a pandemic let's hope right but uh, to to celebrate uh, people coming together I mean that's a beautiful thing and that's a great that's a great image for uh, talk about hope right to just see people come together and lift each other in the times where it's probably easiest to to be uh, to want to shrink from those from from those tasks so i i love that thought thanks sir yeah and it, re- it requires
0: yeah. some courage on our part right yeah. it requires some courage on our part to have have hard conversations to be mm-hmm. okay with feeling uncomfortable and not knowing what to say right but showing up
2: yeah 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 i see a lot of people showing up that's a good way to say it like in in a lot of ways whether it's like helping an elderly. Person that needs groceries but is like afraid to go into the grocery store because of COVID or you know whatever it is like it's it's um yeah you you see that humans are are good like that people do care and yeah
0: and I think that's the thing that needs to be amplified because I think we do have forces at play and media is going to tell a story they got to sell a story and unfortunately sometimes that that portrays some of our, some of the worst things about us and there are good people doing good things. And if we can, if we can amplify that and actually join them, right. And be Absolutely. in those, be in those circles with good people doing good things. Uh, I think that that's a great source for hope. Sarah, you talked a little bit about, uh, what you're hoping that your girls learn from you. What are you learning from your
2: girls? Yeah, a lot. Like they really have inspired me with, um, so many things like one just how they embraced us from day one you know like they didn't have to accept me as mom like I looked like the same age as my oldest daughter you know and like I'd, I'd be at Grant school and they thought I was like a student usually when I was there um <laughs> but I think like you know they could be like who is this girl? you know she's our mom now what like but you know they just have they were amazing with how they embraced Rina and they, they never questioned us as parents or like you're not our real parents or you know any of that like um and I've just been amazed by their resiliency with being willing to just rise up to all the things we kind of threw them into and um even especially my oldest daughter like in college was the like the most mind-blowing one to me um you know she still struggles academically she has we found out like a bit some learning issues and um and was already really behind and everything. And so just her willingness to try it and um, she's doing it. She's passing her classes and she's on her own. And like, um, yeah. So I think um, that just inspires me to just never limit myself to with what I'm doing. And, um, and I, I get inspired really with how my kids like how they love people. Um, I'm always like, all right, we've got a week to go on vacation. Like, where do you want to go? Costa Rica. And they're like, we want to see grandma, and like, so they, they want to go to like the grandparents' house. I'm like, are you sure? You see them all the time, but like, um, you know, I they their favorite thing ever is like family, and um, and that's just beautiful. Like that's how it should be, you know.
0: Sarah, we we mentioned at the beginning uh, that uh, our heroes George Bailey. We've got a lot of heroes, but we love the we love the example from that movie, It's a Wonderful Life, and and really, there's a moment, right? There's a moment. Uh, my my personal favorite part of that movie seems weird talking about that movie as we uh, say goodbye to march and into april but uh it's a that's a movie for all seasons right tyler gould absolutely george bailey's on the bridge and he's crying and he's praying and he's realized that he had had a rich life and he'd kind of thrown it away and he's he's seen what the world was like without him and he in his prayer he says uh, i want to live again right i want to live again and then he realizes that uh it's all back to normal and he goes back to that drafty old house and he goes back to the kids and and he realizes that uh you know he's got he's got a pretty good and then little brother comes in and raises the glass and toasts George Bailey as the richest man in town and uh Tyler and I we love the irony behind that and we always close this podcast uh in our in our time with our guest with that question. So Sarah to you, what does it mean? to be the richest person in town.
2: Just like loved by God and loved by people. Well, you know, I think there's nothing deeper or more fulfilling than that. Um as much as we're kind of focused a lot of times on achievements or what we're doing, I think at the end of the day, um those things are what really are what bring us fulfillment and we all have that God-shaped hole in our heart that we try to fill with other things, but Um, but really, yeah, when we, when we're known by God and we can experience his love and we feel the unconditional love of people. Yeah.
0: Well, I love that. And I, I am so appreciative, uh, of the time that you've given us Sarah and for the glimpse into your life. And it's wonderful to get an update on the girls and it's wonderful to see what you and Ryan are doing and what you will do next. Cannot wait to see what Sarah Hall does next. So, in fact, I'm I'm wearing my keep going shirt for you. Just thinking, whatever whatever you've got, it sounds like you've got some Olympic time trials coming up, maybe in track and field, and we're just hoping that uh, you you keep going, you keep going until until it's it's that time for you to hang them up. So, congratulations on everything that you've accomplished. Congratulations on the life that you're living, and thanks for for letting us in on that tonight.
2: Thank you guys. It was great to be here with you.
0: Thanks, Sarah. It's been a lot of fun. We appreciate your time.
2: Yeah. Good to see you again. <laughs> All right.
0: Tell everyone to say hi.
2: I will. Have a good All right. Good
0: night. Good night. Good night. Good idea, Ernie. A toast. <laughs> to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. <laughs>